You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Sword of Christian Theology and the Shield of Classic Apologetics. This is the Bellator Christi Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, this is yours truly, Brian Chilton, and we thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is uh, a little bit later in the week than we normally uh, post messages, uh, but we are uh, glad you're with us today. And so, uh, like I said, a little delayed. There were some uh, activities this past week. Uh, that took place. Actually, we um, encountered uh, some some storms uh, earlier in the week, and uh, so I'm going to have a special podcast uh, discussing uh, the issues of uh, some of the miracles that happened as uh, God was with several of us in our community uh, in the midst of a storm. So uh, we're going to talk about that coming up on Sunday's podcast. Once again, uh, the commentary aspect of the podcast has been moved uh, to a um, submission time of Sundays rather than Mondays. So uh, if you're on, on TuneIn, uh, just be sure to uh, check, out on, uh, check us out on Mondays as it should be available on, uh, on all the other platforms that we're on. Uh, we should be up and going on Sunday. So just to let you know, uh, there's been a change in that. And so God willing, from here on in, we're going to uh, have the messages coming to you uh, on Wednesdays, as we normally have, uh, like I said, this this past Wednesday was a little chaotic uh, with some things going on, and we'll explain that in more detail coming up on uh, this Sunday's podcast. Uh, just a couple of things, just to let you know, uh, just to, just to uh, uh, some, some little maintenance, some some cleanup duty, uh, just to let you know some things to let you know about. Uh, coming up in July, there's going to be a couple of weeks. 
uh, where uh, we're going to have some guest hosts. I'll explain that to you coming up on Sunday's podcast, so be sure to tune in Sunday uh, for the release of the Bellator Christie podcast. So we'll talk to you a little bit more about that in detail coming up uh, this, sun- this Sunday. Uh, so, But there will be a couple of weeks in July where uh, we will have some guest hosts on the commentary portion of the podcast, and then uh, there will be one week where we probably may not have a message. If so, I think we're going to bring the message of a good friend of mine, Dennis Shaw, uh, the message that he brought whenever he was at uh, Huntsville Baptist Church. Uh, earlier this year so that'll be coming up in, in in place of the message so like i said just a few little maintenance a little cleanup areas we'll need to uh, let you know about but other than that uh, we should be good to go uh, do we, we do want to let you know about today's uh, today's message uh, we're going to be bringing to you a message the final in a series entitled ecclesia all about the church and in this message we're going to discuss the attributes of communion and communion itself uh, is a symbolic of the whole central theme of Christianity as it pertains to forgiveness. When, when Christ taught us to pray, he said, he taught us to pray in this manner, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Note the aspect, or note, note the portion of that prayer as it relates to forgiveness. As we are receiving forgiveness from God, we are also in the process of forgiving others their trespasses. So, we find that forgiveness is a mainstay, a main primary theme within uh, within the issue, whenever, within the area of Christianity. So today we wanted to, to look at the aspect of communion, and we want to uh, examine how it relates to the whole central theme of Christian forgiveness. So let's, after this brief commercial break, we're going to uh, start our message entitled Communion. Uh, symbolic uh, issue of confession. So we're going to take a look at that as we're coming from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. So join us in a few moments for our message. Life. Liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. Our great nation was built on these simple principles. So was our university. Find your greatness at Liberty. Online or on campus, discover more at liberty.edu. It's the difference between a job and a career. Uh, we have, uh, through this series, been looking at several different things. We've been looking all about the church. We've been looking at the mission of God's church. 
We've been also uh, looking at uh, the role of the people of God's church. What is the church? Uh, We've also considered the roles in the church, the pastor, the deacons. And we've also, a couple of weeks ago, looked at baptism, what baptism is all about. Well, today we want to finish out this series looking at communion. Now, we come together, and I think this is one of Grayson's favorite things we do as a church. We come together, and we partake the the bread and the juice. And uh, sometimes if he's drinking juice, and if he has some bread, he'll pretend like he's doing communion himself. He he really loves that part of church. And so today we want to talk about communion. What does it mean when we take communion? You know, a lot of times in church, you know, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes we do things, and, well, I'm just this way about a lot of things in life. You know, we do things out of habit. We do things because, you know, we've just done them that way for several times, but we don't really think about why we do what we do. And so when it comes to communion, let me say that there are some very important points that we need to bring forth as we talk about the communion. In fact, what we see is that communion itself is an expression of, of forgiveness. Do you realize that? Communion itself is an expression of forgiveness. God's forgiveness to us as we are in turn expected to forgive those. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen? That's what the Lord said for us to do. And so as we partake of the communion service, This is what we're instructed to do. So we do encourage you, everyone who can and is able, to please stand as we pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Once again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 23. Paul writes, now let me just give you the backdrop of what's taking place here. In the Corinthian church, there was a big dispute you see, what was taking place is they had come together and they, had, uh, they, they were partaking of this communion, but they also had a, a big meal as well. They must have been somewhat Baptists as well. They had a big meal. But the problem was different people worked different schedules. And you had some people who got off work really early and some people who got off work really late. And what would happen is that uh, everybody would eat up all the food and partake of all the communion before those who worked late even got a chance to participate in the communion service itself. So Paul is correcting this problem that's taking place in the, uh, the Corinthian church. So here again, notice in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you. That is a huge clue that we're talking about an early tradition that dates to within three to five years of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. This is very early material, uh, and this is what I shared with the folks at Emmanuel Baptist Church just yesterday uh, in the apologetics conference, uh, the Defending Doctrine Apologetics Conference. This is one of those passages of Scripture that dates very early. So he's passing on to the Corinthian church that which he was given himself that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Okay? And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper. Now there were actually four cups used in the Passover meal. This was the third cup. We're going to talk a little bit about that. This is the third cup we're talking about, the cup of thanksgiving. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat... Wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power found therein. And Lord, I just simply ask this morning that you give me the clarity and insight to preach your word with boldness, but most of all with clarity and with love. And so, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken, hold back any words that don't need to be spoken, and in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I was talking to Stephen a while ago about a good friend of mine uh, his name is David George. He and I, uh, we were saved about the same time up at Albion Baptist Church. I'm glad Mom's here because she, she'll, I hope she remembers this story. But, uh, you know, Grandpa was pastor of Albion Baptist Church at that time. And, uh, you know, just had gotten saved, was baptized. And, uh, you know, we partook of the communion. We always saw the oyster crackers and the little juice glasses go around, but we always wanted to partake of that. And we finally now had the opportunity, now that we were part of the body of Christ, to partake in it. But, you see, David and I, being just kids, we, we, we got a little too happy with communion because we really loved oyster crackers and grape juice. And so what we would do after communion, so after the service was... <laughs> over is we would go down and we would take the little glasses of grape juice and and toss them back drinking the rest of the grape juice and filling our pockets full of oyster crackers and mom came up and says guys y'all shouldn't be doing that this is the lord's table this is not something you eat at home you you, you just need to wait and eat oyster crackers at home and leave this alone but you know see being kids as we were you know we didn't think anything about it But you know what, mom was right. When it comes to communion, we should come with reverence to the Lord uh, because this is a very holy service that represents the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. It represents our communion with Him. That's why we call it communion. It represents our communion with Him and our communion as believers with one another. So today I want us to uh, take a look at communion, which is an expression of forgiveness. And there are four points that we want to express this morning, and we encourage you to write these things, in your, uh, write these things down in the insert of your bulletin as we go along. Communion is an expression of forgiveness. First of all, communion expresses forgiveness in its roots. Communion is all about the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Folks, listen, we're going to get hurt in this life. 
you know, that, that's just the fact, that, the fact. That's the fact. I mean, when you open yourself up to even to love someone, you know, there's an opportunity that you're, 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 uh, you're making yourself vulnerable when you love someone. You know, amen? And so there's a possibility that you're going to get hurt. And that's what happened even with the Lord. He opens his heart up to the world. And what do we do as a human race? We rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden. And he sent his only son to this world. And what did we do as a human race? We crucified him. But yet the Lord and his love is still abundant towards us that he is willing to forgive us. We see forgiveness rooted in the very roots of Christianity itself. As we see in this passage of Scripture, Paul notes to the Corinthian church that he's not presenting a gospel that he made up. He's presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the things that really happened as they occurred in history, that Jesus on that night of the Last Supper, that he, that he was going to be betrayed. You know, one of his best friends, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him. You th- and I think, I really believe, we mentioned this Wednesday night, I believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus loved Judas. Amen? I really believe in my heart of hearts that he loved Judas. But you know what he did? He even shared the cup with Judas knowing good and well that Judas would betray him. But you see, my friends, in a sense, all of us have betrayed the Lord in a matter of speaking. And that's what the roots of Christianity is all about. That, we, that Christ came to take on our sin, to take on our rebellion, to take on those problems that we have in life and nail them to a wooden cross so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be saved. Amen? Oh, come on now. Amen? <laughs> That's the gospel message. In fact, Richard Pratt says, he writes, the expression pass on was technical terminology among the rabbis of Paul's day for the official sacred transmission of religious traditions. He is passing on to them something of utmost importance, those historical events that transpired in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. I like a variety of different Christian music. And I remember back in the late 90s, there was a group, you don't hear much from them anymore, but they were called for him. It was an, actually a number four with the word him right after that, H-I-M. And they sung a song that really resonated with me. And it's still one of my favorite contemporary Christian songs entitled The Basics of Life. And the chorus says this, We need to get back to the basics of life. A heart that is pure and a love that is blind. A faith that is fervently grounded in Christ the hope that endures for all time. These are the basics. We need to get back to the basics of life. And beloved, I would tell you that communion helps us to focus upon the basics of life, to to focus upon the basics of Christianity, to focus upon the basics of what this gospel is all about. Communion reminds us of the importance of the Lord's forgiveness. Number two, communion expresses forgiveness in its symbols. There, are, there is a reason why we partake of, of bread and juice. Okay, There's a reason. We are following along in the tradition of what Jesus did at the Last Supper. He, he took the bread, he took the juice, he took the wine, and these are symbols that have powerful influence in what we understand of the communion ceremony. Number one, we see the symbol of bread. Notice Jesus does four things. The night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, one. And when he had given thanks, he gave thanks to the Lord 
God Almighty, for the bread that was given. He broke it and then said four different things. Uh, he, he said, uh, uh, or three things, excuse me, that, that the bread represented his body, that Jesus would give his body on the cross for the salvation of anyone who turned to Christ in faith, confession, and repentance that we see in 1 John 1, 9 through 2, 2. And the disciples were to continue this practice of breaking the bread and drinking wine in remembrance of him and his act of atonement on the cross. You see, the bread itself, when we partake of those little oyster crackers, we shouldn't just think of them as oyster crackers. We should think of them as being the bread representing the body of Christ. When we partake of those elements, we are understanding that Jesus is the bread of life, that he is the bread of life, and that he tells us that no one who comes to him will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in him will never be thirsty again. He says that I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That means, beloved, if we're saved, death has no power over us any longer. Amen? As we've mentioned before, for the believer, whether we live, whether we die, we're, we're a winner either way. It doesn't matter because if we have Christ Jesus, we have the promise of eternal life. Amen? And that's a blessing to know. As Crystal mentioned, their family's been rocked hard this year. And, you know, just to think back, you know, of uh, Ruth Beatty, what a godly woman she is. Think back of the wonderful people they've lost to know that those who are saved and are born again, they're not dead. They're just as alive today as they ever have been. And if Ruth Beatty was sitting there, I believe she'd be shaking her head right along with me. Amen? She's just as alive today as she's ever been. Jesus is the living bread of life. He gives us life. And when we partake of this bread, we are partaking. We understand that we're taking part of him, we're taking part of who he is, we're taking part of what he's done. When my, uh, <laughs> when Grayson was about three, or about three I think it was, maybe two, it was two or three, just old enough to get started talking, we didn't think he's ever going to talk, but once he started, you can't get him stopped now. <laughs> Love him to death though, he's a sweet, he's a sweet little boy. But uh, about two or three, whenever he was old enough to talk, I had a uh, screen, or a little, little picture on the background of my, on my computer, and it was Jesus as he was tearing the bread, passing out the bread to the disciples. And I didn't tell him who this was a depiction of. I didn't say anything about this. And Grayson comes up and he tugs on my, my shirt and he says, Daddy, Daddy, look, that's Jesus. I said, well, how would you know that's Jesus? He said, it's Jesus. And he's passing out the biscuits. <laughs> Not too far from the truth. You know, he's passing out the biscuits. So as we partake of the bread, we are understanding that we are partaking of, of uh, the body of Christ, that we are part of the body of Christ, and we as a, a believing community are really part of one another, that we become a family. And you know what? That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a family in the body of Christ. Secondly, we see the symbol of blood. Jesus then took the cup. Notice you, see, notice you see here, in the same manner as he took the bread, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now here's the thing that we often miss without doing a little bit of background study on the, on the Passover meal. There were actually four cups that are used at Passover. And these four cups were drunk in succession, were actually... As you go through the ceremony, the Passover ceremony, you first of all start off with the first cup. And this is recalling what happened back 
in the days of Egypt as God was delivering uh, the Hebrews from the control and power of Egypt, they were to pass over from that land into the promised land. And when the angel of death came upon Egypt, the angel, if they had blood applied to the front of their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their, uh, their household and, and save them, essentially. Well, the first cup that was drunk was the cup of sanctification. And this cup represents God's promise that he would redeem the Hebrews from the cruel oppression of the Egyptians. The Christian manner of speaking, the cup of sanctification, is that God would forgive us and cleanse us from the power and control of sin and of the devil. And aren't you glad of that? That sin has no more power over you any longer. The devil has no more power over you any longer because of the blood of Christ Jesus. The second cup was, that was drunk is the cup of judgment. Here it's remembered that God promised to free the Hebrews from slavery. In like manner, uh, the cup of judgment is uh, for the Christian, remembered that God frees us from the power of death and the power of sin. Now the third cup is what we celebrate when we take communion. And this is very interesting as how the Lord did this at the Last Supper. The third cup is the cup of thanksgiving. This is God's promise to redeem His people in Christ Jesus. The believer is promised redemption. Oh, friends, I, wish, I hope you can see the, the power of this symbol. When Jesus took that cup of thanksgiving, He is saying this cup that you are celebrating now represents my blood that is going to provide you redemption over sin, over death, to free you from the bonds of sin and of Satan himself. That cup that we celebrate is a thanksgiving cup, understanding that we are free, beloved. The chains of sin, the chains of death no longer hold us down, that we are freed by the power and glory and blood of Almighty Jesus. Amen? We are free. We are free indeed. But it gets even better. Jesus says, the fourth cup I will not take with you. Remember this? In Matthew he says this. The fourth cup, I will not drink this cup until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. The fourth cup is the cup of restoration or the cup of completion. This is where God promises, oh get this beloved, God promises the Hebrews, I'm going to make you into a great nation. No one can stand against you. No one has power over you. You are conquerors through the power and grace of Almighty God. Think of this. Jesus did not drink that last cup with the disciples. You know why? Because he's going to drink it with all of us when we get to his kingdom. Because at that time, God the Father himself will say the same words that Jesus said on the cross, Tetelestai. It is finished. It is complete. And now we as the people of God will be able to come together in one mind, in one accord, in one unity, under one blood, under one Savior, with one Holy Spirit and one God the Father Almighty. We are going to come together celebrating that last cup of communion when we all, as the hymn says, get to heaven. What a wonderful and glorious day that's going to be. Amen. I'm about to get Pentecostal, Tim. <laughs> this is good stuff right here. This is good stuff. When we take the cup, we're understanding that the, this represents the blood of Jesus and this represents the new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing let me say that again. 
This is what the Lord has to remind me over and over and over again. You can do nothing without me. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by the blood of Christ. We don't produce fruit of our own accord. We produce fruit by the Spirit of Almighty God living within us. We, we, are, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. As the classic hymn says, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so as you take that cup and you celebrate, you're celebrating the covenant, the blood that was shed for your remission of sins and for mine also. We understand that we are connected to the greatest vine of all, that Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and that sap running through it is the Holy Spirit keeping us connected. And what a wonderful truth that is. Number three, boy, I've got to move on. Number three, communion expresses forgiveness also in its anticipation. Look at verse 26. He says, For as often as you drink, uh, excuse me, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Every time we, we partake of this, we're understanding, we're, we're looking back at what happened in the past, and we're going to talk about a reflection about what God's doing in the, in the present, but what we're also doing when we're taking communion is we're telling the world Jesus came. Jesus died, Jesus resurrected, Jesus ascended. But guess what? One of these days, he's coming back. i got to share something with you. I know this isn't a pastoral illustration right now, but uh, I, I used to be a big-time fan of professional wrestling. I think I've shared that with you before. In the late 90s, I had a chance to go down and watch a pay-per-view. There was a guy, and Christian will like this. this. This guy was a former Atlanta Falcon defensive end. His name was Bill Goldberg. And you've probably heard of him before. This guy was huge. This guy was massive. This guy was strong as an ox and a bull put together. And so he, back in the late 90s, he was popular. And so over in Winston-Salem, uh, I was able to somehow or another get tickets to this pay-per-view they had there. So I went and watched this. And I was interested in seeing this guy because I'd heard a lot about this. And all of a sudden, man, his entrance was amazing. It started playing these drums, this drum-like music. It sounded like a, a marching band going off to war. And then they showed on the screen him coming out of his locker room and he's coming to the stage. And all of a sudden they shoot, they shoot flames up out of, the, out of the stage itself and he's standing there, this huge guy, chiseled, standing there in the middle of these flames. Everybody's chanting his name. Boy, that'd be neat, Mickey, to be able to come out and do that in church sometime. Have the you know, fire coming out of the pulpit. And with my luck, I'd get caught on fire doing that, so I better just hush. <laughs> Wouldn't work with it, Philip. Wouldn't work at all. But anyhow, it was such a cool introduction. Everybody was waiting. Everybody was chanting his name. But you know, when we think about communion, that's what we're essentially doing. We're not shouting Goldberg. We're shouting, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. We're anticipating the day when he splits those eastern skies once again and he comes and calls his church home. What a wonderful, glorious day that's going to be, beloved, when we as the church get to see Jesus with our own eyes that we're called up to meet him in the air. What a beautiful day that'll be. As Janice and Tim and I were talking about this morning, whether we're just a speckle of dust or whether we have just died with our body intact, God will resurrect us, call us home, and what a wonderful day that's going to be. Number four, communion also expresses forgiveness in its reflection. There's, there's an aspect of communion that we need to emphasize this morning as well. And it's a passage of scripture that we often, we often don't uh, consider. And that is when we come to know the Lord, when we come into God's house and we partake of the bread and the juice, 
we must examine ourselves before we participate. Because what we're doing is we come together, we're, we're understanding and recognizing the unity that we have with the Lord, but we're also understanding the unity that we have with one another, with one God, one spirit, one blood, one salvation, one family. Paul says in verse 28 that we need to let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see, what had happened in the Corinthian church is they had lost direction. They had lost direction, and, and they had made uh, this communion into really like a, a big-time party, you might say. And they lost focus on what, was really, what really mattered. There were people who were getting left out of the communion service because uh, you know, by the time they got there, everything was done, and they weren't able to even participate in the communion service itself. So Paul is telling us that we must examine ourselves before we participate in the Lord's Supper. We see uh, one, of my, one of my favorite classes in seminary was a class on spiritual formation. And this, this class still challenges me today to make sure I have enough time with God in prayer. And we've, we've created a prayer garden in our backyard, and it's been, well, I'm telling you, it's been such a blessing. Uh, Dan and Virginia made us a big cross. Oh, my goodness, I can't tell you what a blessing that's been. We, we put it up, we finalized it, and you wouldn't believe this, but a dove came and landed on our house right after we'd done that. Never seen it before. I haven't seen it since. I kind of think, in a matter of speaking, maybe that was God's seal of approval to what we had done in that backyard. But I'm going to tell you, getting back there and just, and just getting one-on-one -on -one with God, getting the scriptures out there, and just examining myself and asking the Lord to forgive me of anything that I have <coughs> excuse me, done to hurt anyone. And beloved, I would just say to you this morning, if I have done anything to hurt anyone in this congregation or anyone listening to my voice, I humbly come to you and ask your forgiveness because I'm not a perfect person. It won't be until I get to the kingdom of God as I hope that you'll extend the same offer. But here's the, here's the thing we must do. Before we participate in the elements of bread and juice, I just want to tell you, we must examine first our relationship with the Lord. But we also must examine our relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because it's a dangerous thing to participate in communion while doing so with an unrepentant heart. And this doesn't come from me, this comes from Paul himself. He says that if we take of the bread and the juice or the wine in an unworthy manner, we, we bring judgment upon ourselves is what we're doing. In fact, Paul even says this is the reason that so many in the Corinthian church are weak and sick and many of them have even died because of this unconfessed sin, because of this, this unrepentance they have in their hearts and in their lives. And you know, God didn't call us to be that way. As the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the Greek text, I want you to bear with me, and I just want you to hear the flow of this, if nothing else, because I want to give you the translation. I've been trying to hone up on my Greek skills here a little bit. But uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 16, Jesus is recorded saying this, Engar afite tois anthropois ta paraptomata auton afise kai humane ha pater humon ha oronois. In de me afite tois anthropois ude ha pater humon afise ta paraptomata humon. Now, I hope you say, saw there's a little bit of rhythm to that. Because it's essentially saying the same thing with the only difference is adding a negative participle towards the last section. 
And what he's literally saying, for if you forgive people their sins, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. It starts with the forgiveness of God. We have the forgiveness of God in our lives. But we have the anticipation and, in fact, the expectation that we extend that same forgiveness to other people as well. Because it literally says here, if you don't forgive people, neither will your Father forgive your sins. The two statements are nearly identical except with the negations in the last section and the focus there in the last section. Understand this, beloved. I understand firsthand that forgiveness is a difficult thing. It's hard if you've been hurt or if you've been spurned, if someone has done you wrong. It's hard to let it go. But I've learned in life that forgiveness is a blessing of God. Because this life can either make you better or it can make you bitter. And ultimately, that decision rests upon us. Are we going to allow the things in life to mold us to be people who are not found in the grace of God? I mean, if God has extended, I mean, I want you to just stop and think. Think back in your life for a moment of all the things that you've done wrong in your life. I could sit here and probably think for hours and hours on end about all the wrong things I've done. And to think that God has been willing to forgive you of your sins. What is it that that other person has done compared to what you've done to God? And I'm saying that to myself, beloved, I really am. If God has forgiven us, we have the anticipation and expectation that we also forgive others. To take of communion and not to do so is seriously bringing judgment upon ourselves. And it's a very serious thing. Like I said, we don't talk about this that often. But I think there's something we need to consider as before we take of the communion service. Listen, folks, we're imperfect people. It, you know, we're never going to be perfect on this side of eternity. Life is messy. There's a lot of things that happen in life that's not easy, that's, that's not nice. But again, we can either give it to God and let Him take care of it, or we can hold on to it and become bitter people. God loves us too much to hold on to those pains of yesteryear. He loves us too much and has a purpose for our lives so much that we let those things go and be focused upon our risen Savior. I don't know about you, but I think that is a blessing of God. Amen? That he loves us with an everlasting love and has given us the gift of forgiveness, which itself is a gift. Let me close with this. A lady moved to a new city along with his sister and her, uh, or her sister and her children. The sister and children began attending church for the first time in their lives. And they particularly loved the singing. And like I mentioned with Grayson, the kids were enthralled and raptured by the communion service that was taking place at this church. And they noticed the passing out of the bread and the passing out of the juice. And so uh, the next day, the uh, woman, she was uh, babysitting for her sister. And she fixed uh, a meal for, for uh, his, her sister's daughters. Uh, and, and she heard her four-year-old niece, Alicia, uh, come to the dinner table, come to the lunch table. And uh, the young woman had fixed the favorite meal of these young kids, burritos. She had fixed herself a cup of Folgers coffee and had set it all down there at the table. And little Alicia hopped up into her chair and she looked and she was recalling the communion service. And she said, and Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he also took the cup and he blessed it. He gave God thanks for it and said, fill it with Folgers and wake them up. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what the preacher said, but she was almost there. But you know, the lady writes, you know, in a sense, that's not bad theology at all. Because that's exactly what the communion service does for us as believers. 
It reminds us of where we were. It reminds us of our old life. It reminds us of the forgiveness we have in Christ Jesus. And it also reminds us of the gift that we have to be able to forgive other people. To live a life free of bitterness. Free from all of those things of the past. And understand, that doesn't mean that it's okay that what happened to you happened. Okay, that's not what forgiveness is saying. All forgiveness is doing is is a person giving it over to the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't handle this. I give you this situation. I give you this circumstance. And I just pray that you would be with that person or be be with whatever that circumstance, situation. Maybe it's a family member or, or maybe it's a job or maybe it's a financial situation you have going on or whatever the case may be. To say, Lord, I'm not going to worry about this any longer. I'm passing this over unto you. I'm going to give this over to you and let you take care of it because you can handle it far better than I ever could. And what a wonderful blessing that is to have as believers. That we can live life really, truthfully, without worry. And that's not easy. (laughs) But if we know that we're forgiven and we know that we have the grace and mercy of Almighty God in our lives and we have salvation and we have the promise of eternal life, and we have this gift of love given to us by the Father above, what a wonderful life that we can have as believers in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's better. Let's pray. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the blessings of life. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be forgiven by you and to forgive others. And Lord, we simply, first of all, want to say that if there's anyone here today that's never made that profession of faith. Maybe they've never come and received you as Savior in God. We just ask, Lord, that you would move upon their hearts through the Holy Spirit, that you would just, just, uh, just, uh, just uh, provide conviction of heart, that you would lead them to salvation that only you and you alone provide. Lord, we thank you for loving us the way you do. We're not worthy of it. We realize that, and most certainly myself. But we just thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do and just forgiving us of all of our sins. And just thank you, Lord, for the peace that transcends understanding that we can have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, have your will and your way in this time of invitation. Lord, if there's anyone here today, maybe they're struggling with some issues in life. Maybe they just need to come and lay it down at the altar and give it over to you. We just pray that you would do so and be able to allow every single person exiting these doors to be able to go with the freedom that you provide in and through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the filling of the Holy Spirit as well. We thank you for all that you do for us and all that you continue to do for us. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection.
this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.